Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ones Ready Podcast. It's an Aaron and Trent show. Uh, I'm in charge today, so Aaron asked me if I wanted to lead this out. So here we are, and we just we know we were talking earlier this morning. Jared's out at some race doing whatever, doing chief stuff. I he don't know, supporting his too. family. That's important. He big timed us. I know it was weird. So like, you all are stuck with just us. So you're welcome, and also I'm sorry for what's about right. to happen. He really Let's chiefed about- us. Yeah. So, so we're basically starting a rumor about Jared that's not true, based on a little bit of fact, ish, mm-hmm. right? Like we're mm-hmm. we're trying to make it sound like it's something it's not. Mm-hmm. Have you seen any examples of that in the real world lately, where a little bit of information turns into something more? <laughs> Boy, have I ever, Trent? Man, so apparently there was some letter about some school that got put out there, and boy, people are all upset. So it goes. We've talked about this a million times, man. Like we're not a news organization. We're not here to break you know, you know, breaking news. Like that's not what we do, right? Like we'd rather be correct and just sort of wait for stuff uh, to actually flesh itself out. So the commander of AFSOC, uh, Lieutenant General Bauerfond, he sent a letter to half A3. So it's essentially like one level up from him and it has like it, all of the training in the Air Force. And he was basically like, all right, for Stowe, CCT, SR, I want you to remove dive for the pipeline for a number of different reasons. So number one, what you got to understand is that 10 years ago, nobody was privy to this information. There would be these rumblings of these letters, these policy letters that went out. Well, now, because everybody has email, everybody knows somebody on social media, you see these things in real time. How long did it take before that Before that broke? Like six hours? I don't know. It seemed, it seemed cool. You know, like once it hits a certain level, it, it just keeps going. So sure. Like in, in weather, once a parcel of air reaches a certain level, it just keeps going. See, so this is how it works. If you're going to tie everything in like this all day, I'm going to leave. I'm going to let you do it yourself. We got a, a, a YouTube comment. Good feedback. Thanks for it. Somebody was like, you know, Aaron, you talk too much. You should let Trent and uh, Peaches talk. Today's the day that you guys regret letting Trent talk because he's going to talk about weather parcels and lifting. I fully disagree with that comment, by the way. Like this, <laughs> this podcast would be awful if you just let me go. Uh, I, I try to maximize like my, uh, my annoying tendencies in the beginning of a podcast, you know, drive the audience away. <laughs> and then we can talk about real stuff later. <laughs> that, is, that is a technique. Yeah. So, yeah, things move it. Uh, and, and, you know, Chief Bass has said it. Uh, you know, the, the previous Chief Master Sergeant in the Air Force, you know, General Brown said it. Things move at the speed of social media. Like, they would just announce policy on social media and get it over with, as opposed to, you know, that's that's a remarkable change, right? So, number one, you hear about stuff way earlier. Well, number two, there's misconceptions. I watched a group chat of mine spin out of their minds for like 30 minutes and had some really strong feelings before someone actually read the memo in its entirety because they thought they were talking about PJs as well. Yes. No. So I n- no kidding, I was like guys are they're not talking about PJs. Um so what was the me- Trent what was the memo? What 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 happened? What so the the com commander Afsoc, com Afsoc requested like you said uh it was kind of like a fact finding thing ish, but like it was a request. Like there's nothing saying like, Hey, I am demanding. I am making this happen. What or whatever. Cause it, it's not really under his control. So AFSOC and, and AUTC run on different pots of money and all these other things. And the, the belly button or the, the connective tissue is at the Pentagon up at headquarters, air force or department of the air force, whatever you want to call it these days. Now that space force is its own thing. <laughs> um, we're nerds and stuff. Uh, so like he, he, this is this has been a long time coming as well. I don't think this was actually his idea to begin with. I think this was the previous commander of AFSOC's idea, and so this uh, the current commander is is 
I think just driving forward with the policy or the the, the guidance that he was given, uh, the the stuff that had been started by the previous commander, and, and so that's what it is. It, it's it, Avsoc, I think, is is as far as I know, is trying to cut uh, the budget a little bit, and there are things that are very expensive and and blah blah blah. I don't know, but like he was just like, hey, like, what if we remove this from the three level pipeline? And this isn't a new conversation. This conversation has been floating around for a very long time. You know, dive is always on the bubble. Oh my god! I I, I couldn't. Okay, I, I'm sorry. I thought I'd, I'd ended the uh, <laughs> the annoying stuff. I was wrong. Anyway, um, so th- so that's where we're at. So, uh, Commander Afsok controls stows, combat controllers, and special reconnaissance under Afsok, right? Yeah. And then at half a three, the previous commander of Afsok is the A three commander, and so he is actually over the functional management of those career fields as well. And so those two guys are kind of like looking at stuff before they come to ATC to be like, hey, if we actually do this, what's it going to mean? Okay. Now let's go back. Trying to Does that make to sense it? at all? It did. It did. And we're going um, to deep dive into it so somebody like understands this. Now, the, the area that we're venturing into, I want to make it clear. I am, if you look at the internet, a POS. I don't, I'm not giving you any inside <laughs> information here. I am a dork that likes fanny packs, right? So I'm not giving you any inside baseball here. Trent has been talking about this conversation has been going on for 15 years. I don't know. Like, I, you know, do you know how many times in my career I've taken that dive bubble off and put it back on three times, three times in my career, they have been like, okay, we're not wearing dive bubbles anymore. Or you're, if you went to the air force diver course, you're not allowed to wear the combat diver badge. Oh, wait, if you went through co- uh, the closed circuit portion, okay, now you can, and now we're back to square one, right? So this is, I'm not giving you any, this is more historical information on the reasoning behind the dive school conversation. This is, this is not inside baseball. I'm not saying I know anything. Nobody's going to listen to me anyway, because I've been talking for too long as it is. So I listen here, to you. Thank you. I appreciate that. But you're contractually obligated to. So <laughs> there, here's the reasoning behind getting rid of dive school, especially in the pipeline. Okay. Here's, here's every argument for it. Number one, the likelihood of a three level getting right out of school, especially combat. And we're going to talk about combat control, SR, Stowe, just specifically right now, because PJ, it gets a little bit wonky. And and we'll talk about that here in a little bit too. So combat controllers, SR, Stowe, the dive mission is specifically for infill and usually for closed circuit. Like there are very few things that you're ever going to do open circuit diving unless you're salvage diving in sort of a non-tactical environment because you're giving off bubbles, right? Yeah. Go, go. I, I think everybody doesn't understand the difference between okay. open and closed. Clo- open circuit. We're, we're, we've been trying to get a dive school. We're this close to getting a dive instructor on, too, because we want to get it on. We're thinking about just talking about dive school and then having them come on and correct us, which is going to happen anyway. But so open circuit is just what it sounds like. The circuit is open. You breathe in air, you blow off bubbles. Closed circuit, there is a closed circuit. When you blow off your oxygen, and carbon dioxide, nitrogen, everything else you exhale, it goes into another tube, and then it gets there's a scrubber device, and then it gives you oxygen back. You can't go very deep with it, but that's what closed circuit is. Closed circuit literally means you don't give off any bubbles. You're very sneaky. Fish can't hear you. It's crazy. It's a it's a wild thing, right? So the Air Forces went back and forth on a whole bunch of different iterations. Like when I went through dive school, I was the second or third class or something that went through the Air Force dive school we were still getting closed circuit. There was a super long period of time where the dive school for the Air Force was no longer teaching closed circuit. Okay, SOCOM defines combat diver as 
closed circuit capability because if you're like the navy has a ton of people that get surface supply diving where you get air from the surface and then open circuit where you're blowing off bubbles that's not considered in socom's view a combat diver so it causes this big problem like we literally just in the last two or three years were sent like we're like hey do you have closed circuit and they'd say no we were sending everybody back to closed circuit like to go get closed circuit qualified it took like three years across the command right so all of that aside the dive infill possibility and this is so we're going over like argument one of why dive school people think that you know you don't need dive school in the pipeline you know number one is because everybody getting it and then nobody doing it doesn't make a lot of sense to SOCOM and now it's not making a lot of sense to AFSOC. Okay. And they've had this conversation forever. It's always been, and you know, we're going to talk about problem two, which is the assessment selection and pre-dive process, which is this, this whole different argument, right? But number one, the argument is, okay, we're going to send everybody to dive school. When was the last time that we did a dive mission? People try to do this with free fall, but you actually go on jump missions. You actually have mission, you know, free fall and static line. You actually have, it's not always combat. You have insertion, you know, two airfields. If you think about the global access mission, a hundred percent, there's sometimes where it's more appropriate. You don't know if the airfield is good enough to land on. You might need to jump in. That's always been a thing. So there is a conversation about free fall and that's for another time, but, the the dive conversation usually argument number one is we spend all this time we select people specifically and train people specifically to go to this really hard school to get through because dive school is no joke dive school is hard and then they never use it right that's sort of that's that's like the argument that's been happening yeah I and mean, it's but like it's always a weird argument right people are like oh can you tell me that the last time in forty years that someone did a combat dive mission and it's like okay well so like the last 20 years we've been in the desert the majority right like we've always had people everywhere doing different things mm-hmm. um but is now the right time to get rid of that capability as things are heating up you know in the south china sea and all those other places uh, could, could you see a, pl- a a time in the near future where the dive requirement capability would be way more useful than it has been in the last 20 years Right. You know, like, yeah, well, and that's the other thing, too, is that people think about these, you know, it's not just these dive missions that you're, you know, no kidding, swimming to a beach and then getting out and, you know, coming up like the Navy SEAL out of the water with your with your weapon. Oh, there so, may there may so be good looking. Oh, man, I can't. You know what? Uh, we started off making fun of Jared and then I uh, didn't bother starting a note for this nonsense. So now uh, Jared is going to be mad at me because I'm not taking any timestamps. So let me just rectify that real quick. But can I can I say as well, like, there's also another argument, and I'm going to go off on a little tangent here, where they're like, well, why can't we just do it like Army SF, where they have a certain percentage of their guys that are supposed to be dive qualified. Mm-hmm. And logistically, this is where I, I, I run into problems, is we are so much smaller than a, a, the Army SF, like the Green mm-hmm. Berets. Like, how many Green Berets are there? There's, there's piles of those Th- dudes. Thousands, yeah. yeah. I, I want to say, between the... One, two, three, four... I, I think there's something like 3,000 or 4,000 Green Berets. Uh, there's a lot more of them than there are of us. And that's just the sure. Green Berets, right? So like, right. And, and also, like, their their uh, capability, their logistics that are built up behind them. You know, they got entire units and, and the support of the Army and all these other things. And, and I just think, don't think we have that. And so when we talk about things like dive and freefall, and this is me, my opinion is I think it, it's better to get the capability up front 
for a lot of different reasons because we're so small. And then if you decide not to maintain that capability at certain STSs or for the, the general population, that's fine. Like mm-hmm. you are going to save money by not having like a, a full up dive locker at every STS. Like you don't have to send guys out on dive trips all the time. Like take a few guys, maintain the, the qualifications, actually make them experts at it. Same with like free fall and all these other things and have a high level capability with fewer people rather than like trying to uh, spread it across the entire force. Cause I think that's another thing that we've proven over like the last uh, 20 years is it's hard to maintain that across the, the force to a, to a, you know, a certain degree of competency you know what i mean right well and it's cur- i'm going to use the command zone words against them there's currency and there's proficiency right yeah everybody it's a struggle just to keep everybody current when you're talking about proficiency those closed system uh closed circuit systems that i kind of mentioned earlier those things are dangerous they will kill you it's not like diving regular air like diving is dangerous as it is but when you throw those closed circuit systems on they operate in a very narrow range like when you start putting them outside too hot, too cold, too deep, too, you know, you, you were putting the system together yourself. Like every check that we can do can be the best, but there are dive injuries that people get from these systems. So it's no joke. So the difference between currency and proficiency is a big deal here. And you're, you're, you're exactly correct, Trent. So we're talking about, you know, do we have proficient folks at these? And just to button up kind of like the argument of number one, and it's remember, we're talking about, you know, well, when was the last time you did this? People think that every dive mission is you're attaching to a SEAL team, you're assaulting a beach, you're going over the beach and you're killing people. No. How about in the middle of, you know, IP, the Indo-Pacific, or how about in the middle of somewhere where your expertise, so let's, let's talk about the stow, right? Let's talk about there's this one stow and he can provide exquisite targeting capability from naval fires onto a ship. But the only way to get him on that ship is he has to jump into the ocean and recover to a sub. If the sub doesn't want to breach, if the sub doesn't want to show people where it is, he's going to have to dive down and dive into the sub. Like there's a bunch of different ways that we can use this dive infill capability other than your classic dive mission. So that argument, it's, it gets really, all of these things have a bunch of nuance to them, right? But start opening up that mind and think about whatever. But when we talk about those other exquisite capabilities that we possess inside of the dive capability, that's one of those reasons why. I think everybody should get it up front, right? So I'll, I'll put my cards on the table here. I think if you get that dive capability early on, you've got it in your back pocket. Because again, number one, when, when you get rid of a capability in general, it's really hard to get it back. When, when you decide like, okay, well, we don't do that anymore. It's really, really hard to look, get it back. Look at Marine snipers. Look at, you know, any one of the Anglico teams. Look at, I mean, look at Sauti right Saudi, yep. it's a it's a little bit different of a conversation but we needed a different capability we're never going back to Saudi. Saudi is now in effect dead it is special reconnaissance going forward and that's that's how these capabilities tend to go too it's like hey remember when we did x you know tree jumps as pjs right yeah. we used to do tree jumps all the time and those are that's a wacky thing that we used to do but you look at it now, like what's the appetite for these young Jays going, Oh yeah. Tree jumps, dog. That sounds tight. Put on a Kevlar suit and jump into triple canopy. Like no. it's just something that we've lost. And then, you know, once it, it's easy to be away from it, but it, it's like, uh, I was in, uh, you know, on team when uh, general Armfeld or Colonel Armfeld, whatever he was at the time decided that if you weren't a PJ and AFSOC, you did not need to maintain your currency on repelling just because of the time and all these other things. Right. And like, unless you're, training for a, a triple canopy insertion right 
Like just focus on the fast rope. Don't worry about repelling because it's, it's unnecessary risk. Right. But everybody's still got it in the pipeline. Like you get mm-hmm. qualified on it, you know what you're doing, but, and, and it, it shortens up the train up. If you ever have to do it again, you're like, oh, okay, you're just reacquainting yourself uh, with the, with the systems and, and getting it done again. And that's another thing is if you push this and, and the, the idea of like a percentage has been pushed around mm-hmm. like, oh, we'll just, w- when we need guys, when they're on AFSOC, we'll just get them the dive capability. It's like, Hey, like you have guys on team and I've seen this in the green beret. Like you, you take a guy and you're like, okay, you're going to become a dive qualified guy now, like six, 10 years into your career. And he's like, I don't, I don't want to. Exactly. You know, like, well, exactly. Do you, what do you do when you run into that? Like, or they go through pre-dive and they fail or they go through dive and they fail. Like, what do you do with that person? And that, that that's like a year long process mm-hmm. to get someone fully qualified. And so, and then AFSOC's paying that bill to get one person qualified and then they're off team. And so like everybody's paying the price. And so like the logistically is, is my biggest concern. You know, that's usually my biggest concern. It's not the theoretical of, of whether we need it or not. Mm-hmm. It's like, if you want to maintain this capability at all, and that's, that's, I think my problem is they're kind of like waffling between this line of like, yes and no. I'm like, oh, well, we still need some of it. It's like, well, then the only way that it makes sense to me is to give it to everybody up front and then don't maintain it across the board. Like obviously the folks over in Japan, like I would, they, they need a dive locker. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, but does the two six, like how right. hard is it for them to like maintain their dive quals out there? Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and that kind of gets into, we'll, we'll talk about the pipeline stuff here in a second, but you know, we'll, let, let's put problem too. It's like, how many people do we need it? And, and what is taking dive school away? Kind of that's cause that's the second argument that you kind of already just, you know, br- bridged into there. So there's been a lot of talk again. I don't know. I'm not smart. I'm not giving inside information here, but there's been a lot of talk about just having closed circuit is its own animal, right? You have to do a separate and an order. Remember in order to be a combat diver for SOCOM, you have to follow SOCOM's rules. So that's the, the, you know, elephant in the room. Whenever we talk about AFSOC is that SOCOM is your daddy. It doesn't matter what the air force jump reg says. SOCOM's regs take precedent. It doesn't matter what the air force dive reg says. And they just put out a new one. It's like 10 I think, um, you know, it does not matter if 3504, it does not matter what that reg says. SOCOM, if you're working in AFSOC, SOCOM tells you what to do. That's currency, that's proficiency, that's your dive supervisor school. That's a lot of things that you have to follow. You have to follow army rules, regulations, TCs, etc. right? It's really hard to maintain that the closed circuit capability, number one, because the Air Force doesn't have a lot of equipment. You're not going to get every ST, you know, newsflash, not every single ST unit out there has a fully capable closed circuit capability. It's not, I'll tell you, it's not a hundred. I'm not going to give you a percent to stay away from OPSEC, but it's not a hundred percent. They don't have the equipment. They don't have the, the dive supervisors that know how to do it. And they certainly don't have anybody that's proficient that's doing it all the time. So the idea was they're going to split East coast, West coast. And just like Trent was saying, they're going to have a certain number of teams on the East coast probably a florida team and the west coast probably a team that's closer to the water like the 2-2 and they would have teams of people that were proficient in closed circuit and they would maintain that proficiency year round right and it would suck because they're gonna maybe you're not gonna do as much jumping maybe you're not gonna do as much global access maybe you're gonna focus a little bit more on diving and get really good at those dive skills and then you'd be the teams able to go fix those problems yep yeah, I mean, 
this how how it works anyway. Like this is how it kind of works with jumping, right? It, it seems mm-hmm. to work better with jumping, where you, we always have the folks that that love jumping, mm-hmm. and though that I mean, it's it's not their job to be the jumps me for the unit, but they end up being that person that ends right. up on every single jump. You know, is always in the the shoot shop, and and they know everything about everything. They're the ones that we go to. We're like, hey man, like we're ordering new equipment, you know, like we're new altimeters or whatever. Like, what do we mm-hmm. need? What, what, what do you need to do? And it's like, they're the, they're the SME. So like, it, and, and everybody's not a sky God on team, you know? So like you always lean on that person that has that capability, the proficiency to get you all through it. And I think dive is just such a big animal. and so time intensive. And then, you know, you have to have the bodies of water to mm-hmm. do it. Uh, that, that it just gets it gets really difficult to maintain that, especially with the the numbers we're talking about. And you know we're in the Air Force, and the Air Force doesn't understand water, generally speaking. That's always the biggest part of the tour is when somebody goes and they're like, "What's this big boat for?" You know, like, yeah. well, we jump into the water, we have to go dive, like, and dive platform boats. It's it's really hard to find a good multi-purpose boat that works as a dive platform. Like the boats that you can use to support your jump ops and whatever else. Sometimes you can get away with a Zodiac. Most times you can't, but you need a bigger boat, right? And when yep. you start talking about a dive platform, like you need a boat that can get out there and haul divers and haul gear and have a platform where you can launch divers and recover divers. And then where are you going to put the patient and all these other things, right? Like diving is logistically intensive and it costs a crap ton of money to do and maintain and that's just one of our skills yep and on the jump side like we already have the planes like that's what makes jumping easier for the air force is like right. we we're with the planes already so like half the half the equation you know assuming that those planes actually like to support us and all these other things of course but half the equation is already solved for us when it comes to jumping the dive thing is just like a, a different beast right yeah, I'm so, assuming I'm I'm not a diver, so <laughs> it is. It's it's one of those things Jared and I have talked about on the podcast before. You know, jumping looks cool, right? But that's like a 13 hour day. Anytime that you're going to go jump, if you're going to do a water jump like that day, you're showing up early. You're getting your brief. You're getting everything together. You're jumping in the water. You got to ride on the boat. That body of water probably isn't really that close to where you work unless you're at the two three. And then you got to drive back home and then you got to rinse everything. If it's salt water, then you got to hang it up. Like those days are long. Dive days are even longer than that. Dive days are exceptionally long. Again, because it's dangerous. People usually aren't that proficient at it. You have to get your briefs out of the way and rinse the gear, rejam the tanks, take care of the boats. There's a, there's a long logistical tail for typically a pretty short dive day. So it's just one of those things. So let's, let's move into to problem three here. So. The next argument that people use, I'm not going to hit the disclaimer up because I've already done it a couple times and I'm annoying enough that it is, is, as it is. Stop um, it. Stop it, Aaron. <laughs> everybody knows this colloquially. Everybody in the world knows that when you go to Air Force, Special Warfare, Assessment Selection, and Pre-Dive, where do people quit? The pool. Yep. Where do people quit? They do it in the water confidence training associated with the pool. Now, if you go back, if you look at the PJN doc, the course that I went through, that was 10 weeks worth of pre-dive. And if you're looking at historically at why that is, it's because pararescue since the start of pararescue and come, and this is back when, you know, Peaches went through a blended uh, team. So he went through just before I did, I want to say he was like 2000, 2001, 2002, I think Jerry going to get in like a year or two before me, but it was still when combat controllers and PJs were going at the same thing. That's because we were immediately sending them to an army school right away. It was, you were getting done with air force in doc 
and you were going to go to the army's CDQC, the combat diver qualification course. And the army hated us. Like, let me tell you a little bit about dive school. They used to have what they called the boathouse boogie. The dive instructors down at Key West, Florida were superhumans. And they used to just try to smash everybody. So it was all these old army dudes, like Trent was talking about earlier, guys that had been on team and already had real world experience doing stuff. And then they decided they were going to a dive team. So it was those guys. And then these young 18 year old Air Force punks that were in the best shape of their life. And they just tried to smash you all the time. And the second that a PJ or a controller failed or even got close to failing, they would just kick you out of the school. So, in the spin up, getting ready to go to those schools in doc and the pre dive courses that they would push, or the, you know, the, the pre dive couple of weeks, usually it was just in doc. Man, it was all about passing those dive events. Like a lot of the, a lot of the water con drills that we do to this day came out of the Army CDQC course. They came out of the, the Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer course and they came out of the CDQC course. And that's why we did, like, that's why you're doing tank treads at, you know, in dock for the longest time. That's why you're doing weight belt because those were high attrition events that they were kicking people out of the army school for. And they built them into in dock and it became part of our water training. And then a whole, you know, instructor is going to instructor. So they came up with other alternate water con events really just to make you super uncomfortable in the water so that when you got to the army school, they couldn't kick you out. Right. Yep. So there's, there's uncle Aaron's history lesson for the day. A lot of the things we do ditch and Don mask and snorkel recovery underwaters, both on an interval and for distance, doing the the giant stride front flip 50. Guess where that came from? It came from CDQC. That's why we do it, right? So that stuff has evolved. If we, uh, and we're going to talk about water confidence and its other applications here, but if we made the courses and events for specifically for dive school and most of the people fail, during those events, then it would stand a reason that if you got rid of those events, in theory, we'd be able to get more people to get through the pipeline. I've seen, I know this is going to get crazy. Here we go. I've seen a bunch of people that were probably good operators, probably like probably valuable people could not get over the water. They ended up quitting. They ended up not being able to make an event. It's usually quitting. They couldn't get there. They couldn't get through. Um, you know, the in-doc or the assessment selection, and then they were out. So this is not my argument because I am making dot great again all the way, 100%. What I'm saying is this is the argument is that if we remove this very high attrition event that doesn't have a whole lot of operational relevance, because remember that was problem one. How much do we actually do this? Well, we don't do it a lot. Well, then why are we so focused on selecting somebody that can do these specific events that they don't do a whole lot? Can't we get more people through? That is argument number two. So. <laughs> I'd love it. I was an instructor in the South CCT pipeline during a time when after a student had uh, died in the pool, mm -hmm. we were not allowed to do water confidence training. And we weren't allowed technically to like drop the students for whatever reasons for, for a year or so, whatever mm -hmm. it was. Uh, the attrition rate for the pipeline at the time, because at that time, uh, dive was a five-level requirement for combat controllers. Right. So they didn't do pre-dive and dive until after the pipeline. If you look back at the uh, the attrition rate for the pipeline, though, during that time, it's the same as the full attrition rate for the pipeline now. 
So I know everybody thinks like, oh my goodness, like if we got rid of dive, we could put so many more people through. It's like we're still preparing these people for a special operations off the street job. Right. And we are going to make the training. The training is going to be difficult no matter what. Mm-hmm. And so like whether you remove all the dive specific items and it's just water confidence after that, you know, like the, the memo said, or or even putting them through pre-dive, which there's logistical issues with that as well. Sure. Yep. Um you're you're gonna have the same attrition rate. Mm-hmm. So like the, the attrition uh model doesn't work for me. The, the, the that argument. It doesn't hold any water. I can't help it. Dude, oh they just the, these terrible dad jokes write themselves and I hate myself when I say it. The only thing that makes me happy is how much more you hate me when I say it. <sighs> you know, it's hard. You're you're yeah. honestly one of my best friends on the entire world. I love you to death. But if you keep doing this, like I'm gonna need a break. <laughs> like <laughs> Like I'm just gonna need to not talk to you. Here's here's exactly why. And and I will I will say this. I'm gonna I'm gonna put my cards on the table on this one too. Like I want to be clear about what I'm saying here, and then I'll kind of back it up. I think you should keep the pre dive program, the water confidence as it exists, because I think it speaks to who we are as a force, and not necessarily to a capability that we're looking at down the road. And I think that's why when you have people that aren't operators, that aren't beret wearing dudes that have ever worked on these teams and they're saying, well, just get rid of this thing. And they don't understand why we want to keep it. This is, this is where you run into problems, right? I'm not saying like I plainly and clearly, I want to keep all the watercon, all the alternate watercon, all the events. Those should be an assessment selection. There should be an assessment selection and whatever we're calling pre-dive. I am not saying that that supports them going to dive school. We can run a pre-dive. I, I can run a pre-dive course and we've shown this. You can run a pre-dive course to get somebody through dive school. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is water is the great equalizer. When we go attached to other teams, we talk about this all the time. We're not a green beret team, right? The green beret selection is completely and totally land-based, right? The seals, they're way more water-based, right? But they don't do the true dive stuff until, you know, phase two, phase three, phase one, really a buds is hell night. It's, it's running on the beach and it's being uncomfortable. It's working as a team. And then, you know, after you get out of phase one, then you go to phase two Marines, same thing. They don't do any of this underwater dive, real selection stuff in the pool like we do. And here's why, because you're completely on your own in the water. There is no team event in the water. You may be doing things together. Like if you're doing 10 ups or if you're doing a group exercise, you're doing it together, but you pass or fail individually. We're breeding you and selecting you from a very young age as an operator that no matter what's going on around you, you have work to do and you have to get it done. And that sounds like being a JTAC. If the world is blowing up like Chief Gutierrez, if the world is blowing up around you, it doesn't matter how hurt you are, how what your team is doing, you have a job and that's being a JTAC and you got to get it done. That sounds like being a PJ. It doesn't matter what else is going on. If you're Jason Cunningham and people are literally turning the CH 47 that you're in into Swiss cheese, it doesn't matter. You got to treat those people. You got to save their lives, right? That's what the pool is. It's being calm in the worst possible scenario. So we're going to take away your oxygen. We're going to take away your ability to see your teammates. We're going to make you uncomfortable. We're going to, we're going to, close like the water sounds different right like it sometimes yeah. you say it, it fills your ears in such a way that you feel like you're alone and you're in space and things are muffled and you can't hear that's the point we're not getting ready for dive school i don't give a shit about getting ready for dive school and those assessment and selection events i care about forcing you to act individually 
for the better of the team. And then if everybody does it great, the team performs. But I want you individually to go, I, I either swim another five meters or I pass out. I either tie this knot or I pass out. I either give my buddy this snorkel and we continue to breathe or I fail. That has nothing to do with dive school for me. Those two things for me aren't really that linked. It's breeding the type of and looking for and breeding the type of people that we need to do these jobs. So people get it twisted where they're like, well, you guys don't really dive that much and a ton of people quit in the pool. So why don't we just get rid of dive school? That'll get us more people. No, I don't want those people. I want the people that can make it through the water events because I think it speaks to who we are as career fields. Yeah. Well, we, we select individuals way more than the, the other services, right? I think that's what you just said. So, and, and that there's no better way to, to see who an individual is than to take away their oxygen than to put them in the water, to, to induce that fight or flight immediately. Because as soon as that water hits your face, if you haven't trained, like that's, that's what it does. That's well, who no. we are as humans. Exactly. Yeah. You can so. say whatever you want. You can talk whatever, talk whatever shit you want on the discord, say whatever you want on the YouTube channels, do whatever you want. The first five minutes that you're in a pool, I can tell if you're going to, I can't tell if you're going to make it or not, but I can tell if you trained. Yep. And then after that, now it's time for me to, okay, well, if, if you've trained, all right, let's start turning the, let's start turning the volume up. Let's start turning the intensity up. Now let's see how much you can take because those are the type of people that we want to take. So when we talk about getting rid of dive school, because it somehow will lower attrition in my experience, it doesn't number two, like I'm not. I am not a fan of equating the things that we're doing. Of course, there's an argument of, you know, you should select people for a job skill. And we went through this with the wizard and we went through this with our fitness test. And we've talked about this ad nauseum. I don't want to, I don't want to branch off into that topic, right? Let's do it. No, absolutely not. Stop it, Trent. You're on one today. My guy. Um, but I, I don't think that everything nice. I don't think that everything needs to tie in directly to, okay, what are we going to do later? I, I think that there's magic in the mixing, you know, there's, you know, for finning for cardio, you know, we're not doing long fins. Like even the guys that are doing dives, they're not doing 3000 meter surface swims up rivers. Like the Germans, you know, <laughs> like that's not a thing that we're doing either. The Germans, the Germans, but it's, cardiorespiratory fitness and being able to, you know, complete an event and, and doing some other stuff. Like I, dude, I get it. Uh, I'm here for it. And by the way, why do we fin at ANS and pre-dive? Cause you do long surface swims at dive school, which we took directly from the army again, like, well, and, and there's other applications, but like, I, I, I'm with you. It's, there are things that are understood by a community that from the outside, you're not going to see, right? Like the, the selection process, the entire pipeline is not built for a capability necessarily and so when that individual finds themselves finds themselves in that situation where they are the person mm -hmm. the make or break you know link in that chain between mission success and mission failure and their whole team dying and, and, and you know with them or or all of them making it out safe like that's what we're doing we want to give them the confidence that no matter what no matter what they can be successful like they have the tools they they are that person that can do that job like that's what it is. It's not so that we can create, you know, the best divers. It's not so that we can create the best fallers. You know what I mean? It's it's to create that problem solver that can do that in any situation and has that confidence. You know, like we we get accused of being cocky all the time. Like you can tell our guys walking around. You mm -hmm. can see it. 
that's what we're breeding on purpose. There, that is the purpose is to breed that person to create that person that can do whatever, whenever to accomplish the mission. That's it. Yep. I was doing a when we used to do the uh, enlisted assessments for pararescue specifically, the cross training assessments. We were in an interview. There was a guy that we were we were hitting him on the interview board. And he didn't make a single, we were doing a simple alter, uh, alternate water kind of event, right? So I think it was 10 ups. Um, it might've been crossovers. Um, short story, he didn't make one of them. He popped every single time, right? And I was like, hey, tell me about, you know, I'm concerned because you, you pop, you didn't make one of these events. And he was like, oh, well, you know, uh, it was just tough and I was tired and, you know, I just, uh, I couldn't do it. And I was like, well, here's, here's the problem with that is I think that's a chink in your armor. I'm like, what we need is we need people like what happens when it's 15 meters of machine gun fire? What happens when you have to like, you have to make this event, like you have to do this task, whether it's a high angle event or a combat event or, you know, something that is high, high danger. I was like, you showed me today that you were not willing to put aside those personal fears, that pain, that, you know, that problem. You couldn't complete this event. We need people that do impossible things. I need you to look at this event and go, Okay, whatever this event is, I don't care. I'm getting it done. Like those are those are the people that we want, and I think that was a problem with you. And um, I, I think that that's true. I, I think that we need those people. That's it's a reach back moment. That's what we're building from the very beginning of your pipeline. Is does it directly correlate to something that we're going to do in the job? No. When you start going down that road, when you're like <sighs> the dumbest argument that ever. You know, we had a, we had a a fitness test that wasn't exactly the greatest, right? The AFSOC fitness test before the OFT. And the big hit here was like these, you know, skinny 115 pound officers. They would run the fitness test because they could run for miles. They could do cart like cows for days and they would drop a 700, which was the highest score on the AFSOC PT test, but they couldn't deadlift their body weight. Yep. Well, the conversation then became, well, uh, can you, could you carry me and my kid? I weigh 240 pounds, my kid. And the officers would go, uh, well, that's not part of the fitness test. The fitness test is supposed to mimic the job. So where is that in the job? <laughs> and once you start going down that path, you start having dumb conversations and it ends up in stuff like this, right? You know, oh, well, when are you ever going to have tanks on your back and you have to hold your breath and swim underneath, you know, 20 meters and get over? That's not the point. That's not the point of the exercise is stress inoculation. It's not a direct representation of an event that you're going to do in the job. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Uh, every, everything we do is like that. Like we're going to put you in, in terrible situations to get you ready for the worst situations, you know, like, or, or uh, flexible situations. So yeah. You want to talk about the, uh, the logistics of removing it from the pipeline a little bit? Yeah, we sure can. I think before that, though, we should hydrate. I saw you had a hoist cup up earlier. That oh looks pretty goodness. cool. I'm so glad you're here today. I do I know. have a hoist cup with Aww. me today. I saw that. I pay attention to what you're doing. Did you get that over at drinkhoist.com where you can use our code onesready at checkout and get a discount on anything that you want or no? If I was smarter, I would have used the discount. Yeah. But like, <laughs> I also like to support my friends. And it's, it seems weird using my own code. You know what I mean? Not to not to me, baby. I'm frugal. I've been using that code ones ready over at drinkhoys.com all the time. Our friends have come on the podcast and talked to us before. You may notice like our team is getting bigger. So Demi Bagby is out there doing her thing. She's a, an awesome follow on Instagram. Rachel Waters. We had her on the on the podcast before. So she's a pro obstacle course runner. She does a, a ton of crazy stuff. So she's she's awesome as well. They've got their own codes. We ain't uh, we're not picky. Just go over to drinkhoist.com, check out your favorite flavor. 
I'm a pat guy. They've got premixes. They're popping up everywhere, by the way. Like I've seen them every time that I look and it warms my little heart when I see a big display of hoist in like a shop at or That's in so a nice. random, I know a random grocery store. I'm like, I know them. They're my friends. I've, uh, I've actually taken pictures and DM them just be like, Oh, look what I saw because I am an idiot. So, well, and they're, they're DOD approved. You yep. know, it's, it's better. It's better than the, the lizard water or whatever. In my, my opinion, it works right. way better. Yeah. And, um, the, fl- the flavors are fantastic. And those little like pouches that they have that are still liquid with like yep. the little twist off top. Like those are amazing. Cause like you can just shove those down. Yep. It sounds weird. Shove those down your throat <laughs> real quick, but like, boom, instant hydration. <laughs> Oh man, the ad read stu- immediately went to. We should not be trusted with this stuff. Like every time Peaches doesn't show up, like I feel like this is a serious pay- podcast about serious <laughs> things, folks. <laughs> he pays it finally. Go over to drinkhoist.com. Use our code ONES READY at checkout. You'll get a sweet deal, whether it's the premix, the packs. We love y'all. Hoist, you're amazing. And while you're at it, while you're typing stuff into your browser, just go to onesready.com. Check out our store. We got a bunch of stuff on there. You want a sweet leather koozie? I got you, boo boo. I got you. Go that over and check so it out. That sounds so bougie. Are we does. appealing to the bouge now? It is. Yeah. We're trying to be grown up over there. So Mission Mercantile, one of our partners over on the website. Awesome. Uh, fine leather goods. Treat yourself. Uh, they're awesome. They're great folks. Um, connected with a bunch of veteran organizations that do a lot of charity and a lot of outreach. That's why they're there. So yep. check out onesready.com for everything. Got a reading list. We're constantly building the site out. So go spend some time on there and, and check stuff out. Trent. How hard would it actually be? Let's get real nerdy. Oh no! Listen, if you guys, you guys were, we were talking about working out. We were talking about motivating stuff. We're about to launch an AETC, and the the reason that we're going to talk about this is because we want you to be able to look at this stuff and realize that there's a much bigger process than one general sending a letter to another general and then everybody freaking out because that's what tends to happen, right? That's when our views just like. Pew. Well, it's yeah. when they the first time that I talked, you can tell I see the analytics a lot, and it's just. <laughs> right off a cliff my guy um hey so there is execution and then there's logistics right amateurs plan for execution professionals plan for logistics what is the sort of thing what is the sort of logistical tale that follows in getting one of these things removed from the pipeline how hard is that to do in reality in the bureaucratic aetc interaction okay um Buckle up, kids. The beginning of the pipeline is designed to get people through dive school. Like all of your all of your water items, your your training items in the water are linked to the dive bubble, to the 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 dive school. And I'm not saying that we couldn't find a way to link those to something else. But as it stands now, all of the paperwork, everything else, like having it a little background. Coming from South T, right? We had water confidence training and all this other stuff without a dive bubble, right? And, and the, so we had to have a whole bunch of stuff in our CFETP to justify putting guys underwater, doing all the things that we did and, and, and without having a dive bubble. Like when you have a dive school in your pipeline. The CFETP is the career field education and training plan. We've talked about it before, but it's the huge okay. menu of items that you have to do to be whatever, and everybody has them, right? If you want to be a bomb loader, if you want to be a security forces airman, if you want to work at the medical shop, you have a CFETP. It tells you this is three level, this is five level, this is seven level. So we just want to clear that up, right? So CFETP, the menu of things. And every single one of those things, like Trent's about to tell you, has to be justified. 
It has to be like, you have to be able to tie it to a task and say, we're doing this because this, and here's how you evaluate it. Go on trend. Well, all enlisted career fields have them. Maybe enlisted stoves. crows and tech POs don't oh, have one. Oh, right my now. goodness. Moving forward. And, and so, so like, that's, that's what I'm looking at, right? So like when you have the dive school in there, it makes so much stuff easier because you can just justify it by having dive school in there. Um, and, and so if we remove dive school from the three level pipeline, you have to go back through all that paperwork and you, ha- there's actually STS, STS is the, the line items in the CFETP that tell you what the requirement is and to what level you're training it. Every training item you have in AATC, you list out the STS line items that you're covering in that training event. And so it's just going to be a lot of paperwork to go back through and to <laughs> re-justify and to, to get all the career fields back together, at, minus the PJs, because they're awesome. They're going to keep dive. Um, to, to rework their CFETPs, to re- rework the STS line items, to rework the curriculum, to justify the curriculum without the dive requirement through the pipeline. And that goes all the way back through like your 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 PT test and everything. This could affect SWOVB and all these other things that we're talking about. Um, so logistically, it's very, very difficult. And in the memo, it said like, hey, we'll, we'll maintain the pre-dive requirement. Well, our current pre-dive school is so COM accredited for the combat dive course that our folks all go to. And so right now, as it stands, we we have a SOCOM accreditation for that pre-dive course. And you can't go through it multiple times. It's going to be hard to justify. If we go through an accredited pre-dive course in AATC, and then six years later, we want to send someone through dive school. Well, they already met the requirement by going through the pre-dive course, but they're not going to be ready. And so like all these units, somewhere, somewhere someone's going to have to stand up another you know, unofficial pre-dive course to get these folks spun up to go to dive school. Otherwise, you're just going to be wasting money sending people to dive school. And we all know that it's a difficult course, especially if you're not trained for it. And then you're going to have a bunch of failures. And so so that's where we're at right now. So like it, another thing is if you remove um, SR, stows, and combat controllers, the SOCOM accreditation is probably not important anymore because ACC, Air Combat Command, owns the PJs. And so then the combat dive requirement is probably going to go away. And so do we still need that SOCOM accredited pre-dive course? And so I don't think we do. And then would we change it based on that, which is basically what they were running at INDOC, where INDOC was four weeks of of assessment selection, basically, followed by four weeks of pre-dive, which is kind of how it looks now, just separated. Um, But then are the PJs still going to go through the combat dive course? Or are we just going to release the accreditation at our dive program for SOCOM and just do open circuit because how do you justify closed circuit uh, without the, the SOCOM stuff and everybody else going through it. And so there's just a lot of moving pieces. It's going to be difficult. And then on the manpower side of the house, PJs are going to have to step up and man the dive school fully. Like it, I think it's PJ heavy as it is, but I would have to look at the numbers. I know that they've been pushing to get more controllers and i don't know if there's any sr that work down there you guys are uh, too small for that i would assume like somebody that would actually be dive qualified and then would be an instructor down there that would be i would assume that that would be really unlikely but yeah pj heavy well yeah i mean speaking of like timelines right like we the the sr guys got the dive requirement not too many years ago it takes time to get someone dive qualified through team back to be an instructor spun up to be an instructor at the dive school so uh, uh that's where we're at so i think yeah, I think it's a little PJ heavy at the dive school. I think the free fall course is where we have more controllers. That's the, yeah, that, that's true. Yeah, um, and that's just kind of how it all works out. And the functionals work through that stuff, and and share manpower and all those other things. All that being said, is 
So like that's that's just the dive question, right? Like there's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of things that have to happen. And usually these are like multi-year projects to make these things happen correctly with the paperwork. Yeah. Usually it takes two years. If you're going to make a change to the CFETP, like if you're going to make a sweeping change or you're going to change a bunch of line items, it's a two-year process. Right. You get everybody together. You have these big, you know, typically conferences where people fight over what it is because there's a bunch of different shareholders and stakeholders, depending on how you want to look at it. And they have all these arguments like take this line item out. No, we want this line item. We want this line item. We don't think that's important. You have to do that process. And then there's an end state to that. And then there's another process. And then there's an end state to that. And then you're actually planning and writing the thing. And there's an end state to that. And then by the time it gets published, like these things are supposed to happen on a two year cycle. Right. So it, it takes a long time. And then what what a lot of people are not talking about is the recruiting process in SWOEV, right? Mm-hmm. So I think everybody's tracking halfway or, or two thirds of the way through the, the prep course or SWIC. Um, the TACPs, because they don't have that dive requirement, they can't justify the ANS and the, the water intensity that happens there. They break off and they just go to their apprentice course, which has its own problems. Like I think they're working on a, a selection type event or whatever that they previously lost, by the way, and getting it back is difficult. It's weird. When things go away, it's hard to get them back. Yep. Um, because they use that against you. And they're like, well, you got rid like the question number one that you have to answer here is, well, you got rid of it before. Why do you need it now? And that is a hard question. You, you'd think it'd be an easy question to answer. Be like, well, because we do. Mm-mm. Not when you're talking Air Force funds, not when you're talking DOD funds, not when you're talking accreditation. It's tough. Yeah. All that money goes somewhere else real quick. Everybody's Very waiting fast. to get a piece of that pie. Yeah. Um, unless you have a RAND study that comes back and says TACPs need a selection event after they got rid of it. It's really hilarious. Okay, moving forward. Um, so, like, how do you justify putting everybody into this SWOE V9500 AFSC where they come in and then putting them all through the same selection course, putting them all through the same pre-dive course if the dive requirement is not required for three of those AFSCs. And so like, it's, 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 it's a tricky situation. Now, now you could just, if, if a, a you know, three-star general just says, this is the way it is, and it goes up to you know, the four-star general and he says, this is the way it is, then they can just make it happen. But I'm saying like, to do these things on paper correctly, um, a lot of stuff is built around this single school in the pipeline. And so it's, uh, it'd be really difficult to do it in any time, uh, you know, any kind of timeline that's, that's not years. Right. And we tell you all this just to tell you, to give you some more nuance to the conversation. Cause again, it's easy to look at it on social media and be like, Oh, you know, AFSOC is getting rid of dive. So, I mean, not really. Uh, there's a lot of other things that we have to have. This is just a, a next step in, you know, whatever it is that you're going to call the, you know, ST next or AFSPEC War 2.0 or, you know, whatever we're calling, you know, the evolutions that we're going through to right size the force and capabilities going forward. So we're just trying to give you some nuance here. That's it. Yeah. And there's probably like 800 things that I didn't mention. And right. also, I probably got one or two things wrong. So like, for if anybody's out there about to make a comment, like, okay, I, I probably got some wrong. But that that's, it's a complicated process. It, it makes sense once you're in the process, but like all these things connect. All right. Does it, does it make sense once you're in the process? I've been, I've been in ATC for a, a long time. It makes sense <laughs> to me. And, and just one, one little shout out about ATC, the way that people write curriculum in the Air Force is the way that people write curriculum in academia and all those other places. I've said it before, but people are like, oh, ATC doesn't make any sense. It's like, well, this is how this is done in the regular world as well. Right. You just, yeah. it is what it is. It makes sense in academia. You just don't understand the academic process, which is why you think AETC doesn't make sense. 
So let's hit it real quickly as we get to the okay. end here. Um, like, let's talk about why, you know, why PJs weren't mentioned in this thing. You already alluded to it, number one. Number one, you don't get to tell ACC what to do. So the preponderance of forces of pararescue men in the United States Air Force, it, it's actually the Guard and the Reserve. And that's going to come into this more, more than 50%. I'd have to look. I, I, I think the last time I looked, like 61% or something of, of PJs that are current and qualified actually work in the Guard and Reserve. I think that might be a little high. Um, it's over 50 for sure. It is. It's a hundred. I am positive that it's, it's over, it's over 50. I know that for sure. So we'll talk about that in a second, but it, the majority of PJs work in ACC. Okay. ACC is there to provide combat rescue, uh, personnel recovery, sensitive item recovery to the larger air force. Salvage dive is a part of that. People I've, I've, I've had friends that go dive after drones. I've had friends that go dive after, you know, if there's the, the ocean or the earth is 70% water, if we need somebody to go recover an Air Force asset and we can do it, we're going to go do that. Now, it doesn't mean that we, you know, pararescuemen do all the stuff that the Navy does. There's, you know, a great example of a time I was in Africa. Just so ha- I think Lake Victoria is the world's deepest freshwater lake. There was some, di- no kidding, a SUV was driving along the side of the lake, fell off into the lake, <laughs> and it was immediately like a thousand feet. <laughs> it was like an 800 foot dive right away, right? Obviously, we are not going on that. That is that is a problem for someone else to fix. But we do have a certain dive capability that we can do salvage or non, you know, you know, permissive diving, non non combat environments. So, you know, pararescue is always uh, has always needed that capability. So that's you know, kind of reason number one is number one. ACC owns the forces, so the AFSOC commander can say, "Well, I don't want that," and that's why specifically pararescue was left out of this because the AFSOC commander doesn't have you know, the, the com ACC is a four star mm-hmm. com ACC is, you know, not, is going to read that letter and go, cool. Well, my PJs need it. So I have the preponderance of forces. We're just going to go ahead and continue on with our training as is. So that's kind of number one is he doesn't own the forces. So that's why I wasn't on there. I will say that this is, this has been a talk for a pararescue for a long time. We went back and forth. There's a bunch of PJs out there right now that don't have closed circuit because of this conversation, <sighs> right? They went through, they ended up working for ACC. ACC doesn't require them to be a combat diver, as SOCOM says. So they didn't. They never went back and got the closed circuit. There is no requirement for PJs to have closed circuit diving. I just so happened to go through in the first iteration of the dive school and got closed circuit, and then was able to maintain that uh, you know currency at least throughout my career because I came back to an ST. There's plenty of PJs that, you know, they bounce around the rescue units and maybe they go hit an instructor gig and they never got closed circuit. They're just open circuit divers because that's all they required for the job. So reason number one, reason number two, the Guard and Reserve has a lot to say about the pararescue community because they have so many people in there. So it's number one, the sheer number of people. And then number two, the stateside mission. These dudes do stateside salvage diving rescues and recoveries all the time. So the guard and the reserve is like, no, we actually have a need. You know, there's lakes, there's bodies of water. We need to go actually do this thing. So the guard and the reserve is like, get rid of dive. No, no, no. Our state needs us to maintain a dive capability. Our state needs us to be able to go and do these dive recoveries. Like I know for sure the Nellis guys have spun up to go on dive search and recovery missions out in Lake Mead. I know for sure. That's that Puddle Mead now. Puddle actually. Mead is, yeah, it's getting small and yeah. small. Um, you know, Sorry. those stateside missions exist. And there is no way that the stateside commanders let those missions go away. And that's that's outside of all of the, the combat search and rescue. Because remember, 
like we have a stateside mission and a humanitarian mission. So number three, right? Number one, you don't get to tell ACC what to do on the PGA side of the house. Number two, you got the guard and reserve for the stateside mission. And then number three, encapsulating all that, there's a humanitarian mission. You could have to go, again, teams get called to do wacky stuff all the time. Like living in Vegas, we would get called to go out to Zion and search for hikers. And same thing in, in Albuquerque. I had teams that went and recovered people that got lost hiking or, you know, they got stranded places. You get that dive mission. If you live there, like there's, you know, I'm, I believe that there have been PJ teams that have gone out on dive recoveries at Havasu, like out of DM, right. Even places that you'd think that it wouldn't happen. Like now, obviously like New York, Moffitt, you know, uh, and that doesn't even start to talk about the dive requirement that's necessary for NASA space shuttle recovery down at Cocoa beach, right? Like all of these things are playing into it where, you know, the dive salvage capability, because you got to remember it's, it's kind of different between combat, uh, combat diving is so common defines it. And then what, what PJs need to dive for, which is, you know, rescue recovery. Um, for those reasons, you know, it's at least not a question. Now I will tell you, this has gone back and forth. Like I told, like I alluded to earlier, about do we need to send every single PJ to dive? And up until now, that question has been, or that question has been answered with yes. Up until now, every single answer has always been, yeah, because of these reasons. Well, logistics, it's difficult to catch it on the back end, you know? It is. So do occurrence affect the non-combat diver? Or <laughs> yeah, Is that they the do. difference? Wind, waves, and tides. <laughs> Winds, waves, currents, and tides. They affect the non-combat diver like an MF, uh, but a combat diver doesn't affect them at all. You don't have to plan for it. You're totally fine. That's a dive school joke, everybody. Yeah. If you don't get the joke, it's fine. Yeah, I don't get the joke. <laughs> I love it. I never even, yeah, I think we covered that pretty well. I think so. I, here's the thing is like everybody wants to, it, it's way better to be pissed off on the internet. It's way better to look at thing and make some snap, you know, just, and then pretending like, you know, how the process is going to go on. If you don't work in ATC, like even to our, our active duty brothers that saw this thing and then just started freaking out. Like, unless you have a really good idea of how to kind of like peel through the layers of this, you probably don't have a real good idea of what you're talking about. Um, if you haven't worked in ATC, if you haven't done course planning, if you haven't done, you know, the, CFETP rewrites or STRTs or some of these other things that you have to go through. It's a long, it's a long process. Now, granted, things been wacky these last three years. Things really have been weird. Like some of the personalities at play um, in the in the last like three or four years of ST, I got it. It gives you kind of that feeling of like, I don't know, there is a process, but what if they just ignore the process? What if they just yeah. burn it to the ground and go? Um, yeah, I, I guess those those things are always there, but bottom line right now nothing has changed it was a letter sent from one general to another general essentially opening the conversation to say hey what if we did this and we go from there but yeah i'm always going to fall on the side of uh you know like our e6s and below and i I think they would like to maintain the capability and i've talked Mm -hmm. to some of these guys i think that it's an important capability moving forward Mm -hmm. and so if it's important to the guys the folks right then it's important Mm -hmm. and they're the ones that are that are looking down the barrel so you know, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, any of these uh, O's are being malicious or any of this other stuff. Like, I don't know. Um, but I do think that if the community is saying this is important, then it is important. And I'd like to keep it around. Not, not with, st- you know, aside from all the logistical, all this other nightmare that 
you know occupies my brain space of of making it happen or not. Uh, I, I think it's a you know as a as a guy that wasn't dive qualified that didn't go through you know any of the selection processes and all these other things. I'll tell you that I think it's important. Like that, there's a different type of mentality. There's there's a confidence that you get earlier on in your career that that is important to accomplish the mission. So, you know, yeah, I, I, I I'm as impartial as I can be. I think about this from the outside looking in, and I and I I think it would be a shame to get rid of it. Agree. Feels like a good place to end because I don't need to over talk it. You crushed it. I just wanted to bring up the Discord thing where they were like, can you believe this guy is on here talking about Air Force Special <laughs> Warfare and you never went through selection and all these Shut other things? Up. I'm like, I think I talk about this, don't I? Like, all the time. It doesn't matter. You're never going to make the internet happy. <laughs> they're they're going to be mad at you for whatever. It doesn't I just, matter. I was happy to get some attention, if I'm honest. I was like, I made it. Like, yeah. people are... And then like, they wouldn't say my name. I'm like, that's pretty obvious who you're talking about. That's my about. thing that I always this laugh is... at. Like, throw a tag in there. Bud, yeah. like, throw, stop subtweeting me. Throw a tag in there. I want to laugh. I want to. Yeah. I want to giggle at your dumb meme. Like, but no, never happens. So it's disrespectful. They won't even mention my name. It is. Well, yeah, it is. It's like I've been rewatching Breaking Bad. So it's like you know Gustavo Frank going t- talking to uh, you know Don Salamanca, and he's like, you know, will you look at me today? And he won't look at him. It's kind of like the same thing. Yeah. It's like you'll sit there and you'll be mad, but eh, cost Don Salamanca his life. It'd be what it be. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, it's good to see you today. Jared, I hope you had a fun time doing whatever it is that you're doing and not being here with us. Let me tell you how we chiefed this. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to put it out there because I don't post pics of the group chat. I asked yesterday specifically. I was like, all right, cool. This task is done. Tomorrow's a good time to record. We don't have anybody else on the schedule and something else. Like, It's three very distinct things. Chief Peaches responded with yes, yes, and yes. He's up this morning firing text messages off because we record early. He's he's firing text messages off six o'clock on a Saturday. Bing, 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 yep. crushing it. And then Trent and I, we get on board, we get on the thing, and Trent's like, Well, Peaches, are you gonna get on? And he's like, Oh no, dude, I'm out at this, I'm out at this race. I'm out doing this thing. He's like, I don't I I didn't even think we were recording today. I screenshotted him. Was, he was like, No, I said uh, I said yes that we didn't have anybody scheduled. It's like you said yes three separate times. You know who else did that? Peter to Jesus. He betrayed him. Wow. Is that, is that right? Is that the right biblical allusion that I yeah, did? Before the, Peter? the crow. Exactly. Before the, before the, 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 the rooster. Yeah. The rooster crows. Yeah. 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 Rooster yeah. crows. Three separate times you'll deny me. Peaches hit us with three yeses and then pretend he was like, <gasps> recording today. No, you guys go ahead. He chiefed us. He got us good. But he really is the rock that the podcast is built upon. He really is the very small rock. That was another biblical allusion. Yeah, you're welcome, Millspec believer. See, we we read the book, <laughs> man. We we out here, we out here. All right, all right. Well, if you're Everybody still train around, hard, yeah, yeah, yes, keep training in the water. It's fine. It's fine. Just Everybody keep take doing a, your job. Everybody, take a breath. Get it. But oh, did you just do that? Really? Have to do it to close out. Are you finally awake? Is that what happened? No, you're pretty angry earlier. I'm always angry. All right. Well, the, the memes could be better about the dive stuff. I want to see more more good memes. Yeah. You know, they've been. I don't know. It's more just like "woe is me" and the sad stuff like fizzled out pretty quickly. But that's what the yeah. internet is. Follow bring, us on bring. onesready.com. Go to the Instagram. Leave us a DM. Send us a message. We take your feedback. We try. Yeah. 
being being frugal in reality is buying stuff that lasts. So that mission mercantile stuff will last until your grandchildren are dead. So that's the true frugality right there. Jesus. All right. Something to think about. We're just <laughs> dust in the wind. Train hard, everybody. You've been dying <laughs> since you were born. Have a good day. Bye. <laughs> Bye.